Hello and welcome to the December 20th Health and Nutrition Articles of the Angus Beef Bulletin Extra. Thanks for joining us here at Angus Beef Bulletin Audio. I'm Heather Lassen, Special Projects Editor. If you have any questions or comments, please send us a note at abbeditorial at angus.org. Let's get started. Today's first article is titled Winter Weather Requires Major Shift in Cattle Management. Adequate nutrition, water access, and bedding are just some of the considerations ranchers should address ahead of winter storms. By Kelly Anderson, North Dakota State University. Winter weather is here and storms are in the forecast, said Zach Carlson, NDSU Extension Beef Cattle Specialist, just ahead of the storms that blanketed cow country mid-December. This storm may bring heavy snow, cold temperatures, and raging winds. Cattle feel the effects of extreme weather, and producers need to make sure the provided feed is meeting the energy and protein needs of the cow herd. Carlson recommends, when doing feeding chores, make sure you are paying close attention to the body condition and fat cover on the cow herd. Cows that are too thin will suffer the most as fat is the insulation factor for the cow. Snowfall cover on the backs of cows will not melt quickly on cows with good insulation. Substantial snowfall and drifting can make open area access to feed and water difficult. Farmers and ranchers need to move cattle to areas that provide protection from the wind as soon as possible. Waterers need attention. Ice buildup around automatic waterers is common, and injuries can occur if they are competing for limited water space. The November storm brought some needed moisture. However, the snow is compacted, and there will not be sufficient water available to meet the needs for cattle, especially cows on high roughage, high dry matter rations. The specialists recommend spreading feed out so all cattle have access and providing extra feed during this time. If cows are being maintained on relatively poor quality feeds or temperatures get too extreme, altering the amount of feed will not meet the increased energy requirements for the cattle. Feeds of higher nutrient quality, more energy dense, must be included to achieve the needed level of nutrition during cold spells. This is not the time to be feeding low-quality forages, says Gerald Stocka, NDSU Extension Veterinarian and Livestock Stewardship Specialist. With lack of sufficient water or lack of watering space in cold weather, cattle will try to eat more, and impactions, or digestive blockages, can occur. If farmers and ranchers are grazing cover crop, or some type of grazing system, snow depth can severely restrict the animal's ability to consume enough forage to meet their needs. These animals will need to be supplied with extra harvested forage. Some feeds can be dangerous if hungry cattle are allowed full access. For example, grains and high-quality alfalfa can cause digestive disturbances or bloat if cattle consume too much. Consider supplying enough feed for several days to cattle in cases when additional snowfall and drifting are forecast and could restrict cattle's access to feed for a period of time, says Staka. In feedlot settings, cattle may back off feed for a day or several days, so farmers and ranchers must make sure to get them eating pre-storm rations. Limit feeding or feeding smaller amounts several times a day can avoid digestive disturbances in feedlot cattle. Another option is to reduce dietary energy for a period of time by adding more roughage, then following that with a gradual transition back to high-energy finishing rations. Take steps to ensure cattle are out of the wind, says Staka. If natural wind breaks, trees, draws, etc. are available, take advantage of them for feeding sites. 
If no natural windbreaks exist, producers will need to take steps to make permanent or portable windbreaks to protect cattle from the wind. Portable panels are good options when maintaining cattle in relatively open country. Bedding may not always be necessary for wintering cow herds, but in cases where cattle are wet, it is a must. Bedding helps keep cattle dry and provides insulation from the cold ground. It also can provide a reprieve for cattle that have been standing or walking for several days after storms. Extension specialists also recommend ranchers watch their cattle closely for health conditions that arise from exposure to winter weather. Hypothermia and frostbite may be apparent immediately, but cattle can be at risk for pneumonia and other conditions for several weeks after severe events. Farmers and ranchers should talk with their veterinarian to establish treatment plans for any anticipated or observed illness. Farmers and ranchers need to protect themselves from the weather as well. Make sure the cattle are fed and have protection from the wind before the storm breaks or the temperatures plummet. Take a few moments to make sure you are dressed appropriately before heading out the door. Communicate with neighbors and offer assistance if needed. For assistance with ration formulation, feeding recommendations, or other winter management concerns, contact your county extension office. For additional information related to winter storm management of cattle, visit ndsu.ag forward slash cattle and cold. As an editor's note, Kelly Anderson is a communications specialist in agriculture communications at North Dakota State University. At the end of this article, there are also links for two related articles you may want to check out. One is titled Feeding for Cold Weather, and another is titled Cold Can Cause Dehydration. Our second health and nutrition article is titled Do You Have Mold and Mycotoxins in Your Silage? Tips for Testing Silage by Mary Junoski, University of Nebraska-Lincoln. We typically suggest getting forage tested to determine nutrient content, such as energy and protein. With silage, additional testing may be needed, especially when grown under stressed conditions and or put up in less than ideal conditions. The presence of mold in silage can decrease the energy value, feed intake, and performance of the cattle. Additionally, some molds produce harmful mycotoxins that can affect animal production and health. Field molds can be an issue in cereal grain crops, including gibberella, aspergillus, and fusarium. These molds grow out in the field, and some can remain after harvest. Aspergillus is more likely to be present in drought conditions and thus may be an issue this year. Aspergillus is a yellow to green mold that can produce mycotoxins. Unfortunately, you can have no live field mold present after fermentation, but still have the mycotoxins they produced in the field present. This is because once produced, most of these toxic compounds are not destroyed by heat, time, or fermentation. Thus, if you see mold at harvest, it may be a good idea to test for mycotoxins. A basic mycotoxin screening will cost around $170, with individual mycotoxin tests costing around $55. Storage molds can be a big issue in silage that was put up too dry, and this can be amplified if there was poor initial packing. Molds require oxygen from air to grow. Regardless of moisture at packing, uncovered piles are also likely to have increased risk of high mold counts. Common storage molds which tend to grow in silage include penicillium, aspergillus, and manascus. 
The primary feeding concerns related to storage molds are reduced silage nutritional quality, bunk life, and palatability. Mold counts can help to determine how much storage mold is present, and an identification can help to see if you might have the potential for toxins lurking in your silage. A mold and yeast count with identification typically costs around $30 to $45. Depressed digestibility, or reduced energy availability, can occur with mold counts greater than 100,000 colony-forming units per gram of dry matter, even without mycotoxins present. At 300,000 colony-forming units per gram of dry matter, caution is advised, as this can result in reduced feeding value, reduced intake, reduced performance, and digestive issues. Unfortunately, high mycotoxin levels can be found with low mold counts. This is because the amount of mycotoxin produced by mold depends on growing conditions. Unfortunately, not all mycotoxins can be detected in routine testing by commercial laboratories and not all laboratories will test for mold and mycotoxins. Many dairy-focused labs will do mold counts, mold identification, and mycotoxin testing. If storage mold is present, feed-out rate is even more important. Make sure to feed enough that you remove at least 6 inches per day off the face, with 12 inches being ideal. Also, do not pull off more than one feeding at a time. Mold will start to grow rapidly when exposed to oxygen. A tremendous amount of mold can grow in less than 24 hours. This can significantly reduce the feeding value and increase the risk of negative effects on the cattle being fed. The safe level of mycotoxin is hard to establish as symptoms are often nonspecific and may be wide-ranging. Symptoms result from a progression of effects or opportunistic diseases, making a diagnosis difficult. Symptoms vary depending on the mycotoxins involved and their interactions with other mycotoxins and stress factors. Table 1, which is included in the article online, provides the current regulatory guidelines, if any, concentrations at which symptoms have been observed, and the potential effects of common mycotoxins. However, it should be noted that contaminated feeds often contain multiple mycotoxins, potentially amplifying the expected effects. In general, young calves and stressed animals are most susceptible to mycotoxins. While not perfect, Mold spore counts and mold identification, coupled with mycotoxin testing if warranted, can be helpful to evaluate if there is a risk of negative effects when feeding silage. This is especially true for silages that were grown or harvested in less than ideal conditions. Understanding the amounts of mold and mycotoxins present can help with deciding which classes of cattle to feed and how much silage can safely be included in the diet. As an editor's note, Mary Jurnoski is a Nebraska Extension Beef Systems Specialist at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. This article is reprinted with permission from the Beef Watch newsletter. Interviews with the authors become available throughout the month of publication and are accessible at https colon forward slash forward slash go.unl.edu forward slash podcast. Our third article today is titled Coccidiosis Affecting Calves in North Dakota. Coccidiosis is an intestinal parasite that may contaminate feed and water. Ranchers in North Dakota have been observing calves showing signs of coccidiosis this fall and winter, says Gerald Staka, North Dakota State University Extension Veterinarian. The intestinal disease affects several animal species. In cattle, it may produce clinical symptoms from one month to one year of age, but it can infect all age groups. 
Coccidia are very host-specific. That is, only cattle coccidia will cause disease in cattle, Stucca says of the protozoan parasite, that has the ability to multiply rapidly and cause clinical disease. The major damage to calves is the result of the rapid multiplication of the parasite in the intestinal wall and subsequent rupture of the cells of the intestinal lining. Several stages of multiplication occur before the final stage when the oocyst, or egg, is passed in the feces. Oocysts are extremely resistant to environmental stress and are difficult to remove from the environment completely. Oocysts must undergo a final process called sporulation before they are infective again. Oocysts frequently contaminate feed and water. When the sporulated oocysts are ingested by other animals, they start their life cycle over in the new host. Symptoms In weaned calves, clinical signs of coccidiosis may develop following stressful events, such as weather changes, or if the calves are in conditions such as being fed and eating off the ground. The conditions this fall and winter, with the ground not frozen under the snow, may have increased the risk of coccidiosis infections. Symptoms or signs of coccidiosis will depend on the stage of the disease at the time of observation, says Stucca. In general, coccidiosis affects the intestinal tract and creates symptoms associated with it. In mild cases, calves have only a watery diarrhea. However, in most cases, blood is present in the feces. Straining, along with rapid dehydration, weight loss, and anorexia may be evident. Animals that survive for 10 to 14 days may recover, however permanent intestinal damage may occur. The lesions associated with coccidiosis found after death generally are confined to the cecum, colon, ileum, and rectum. Laboratory findings should be correlated with clinical signs for a diagnosis because other infectious diseases, such as salmonella and bovine viral diarrhea virus, also may lead to blood in the stool, Stucca notes. The susceptibility of animals to coccidiosis varies. Coccidiosis frequently is referred to as an opportunist, which is a disease that will develop when other stress factors are present or when exposure to the oocysts is overwhelming, Staka explains. The life cycle of coccidiosis in calves is approximately 21 days, he adds. This means that if a weaned calf is showing signs and symptoms of coccidiosis at three weeks after weaning, then the calf was exposed to the oocysts at weaning time. The logical conclusion is that weaning pens are contaminated. Treatment. Infected animals must be treated for the infection and to correct dehydration. Producers should select the proper drugs in consultation with their veterinarian. Sulfa drugs and a therapeutic dose of amprolium are available to treat coccidiosis. Antibiotics may be necessary if secondary bacterial infections are suspected. Products also are available for treating the entire group of calves, Staka says. Treatment and prevention are most effective when started early. Prevention Staka and Carl Hoppe, Extension Livestock Systems Specialist, suggest these steps to prevent coccidiosis. Move weaning or receiving pens to a clean area free of contamination. Increase the amount of space per calf at weaning. Feed an additive that can reduce the presence of coccidia. Feeding a coccidiostat, tocoquinate or amprolium, or an ionophore, monensin or lysalicid, at weaning will reduce the risk of disease, Hoppy says. Be sure to follow label claims because each product will have slightly different label claims. 
feeding an ionophore to the cows for reducing the overall coccidia parasites present in the environment also has the benefit of improving feed efficiency, he adds. Editor's note. This article is provided by North Dakota State University Extension. So those are the three health and nutrition articles in this week's edition. As always, if you have any questions or comments for us, drop us a line at abbeditorial at angus.org.